0: I want to read just uh, one verse of a text that's embedded in in really an entire Christmas uh, sequence here. Talking about these wise men, and uh, who had obviously traveled a considerable distance. Uh, They were looking for Jesus. They were, well, they, I don't think they knew who they were looking for. They were looking for a king. They knew that. And uh, they stopped in at Herod's palace. Uh, if you were here last night, you heard me describe Herod. Herod was a lunatic, and that's not just an overstatement or anything like that. He literally was a madman who was in charge of that particular region of the, of the country. And uh, he was also incredibly paranoid, uh, very fearful that somebody would try to take over his throne. In fact, his paranoia ran so strong and so so wide, he had one of his wives killed because he got nervous about her, and I think he had at least one of his sons killed uh, because he was afraid of an uprising uh, that that might occur. So this man was certifiably mad. And so when these wise men showed up looking for a king, they were looking for a uh, uh, a, new, a new person, naturally this made Herod incredibly nervous. And uh, my text tells me something, let me read it to you, just simply this, number 1, or verse 12, Matthew chapter 8, verse. Uh, I'm sorry, let me start again, Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I want to just emphasize the last two words of that uh, passage another way. I just uh, you know it just dawned on me uh, as I was preparing this message this is the last message that I get to speak in 2016. This is it right here. Uh, Next time I stand here it's going to be 2017 we're going to turn the calendar and um, it, uh, it always strikes me at this time of the year as a, a kind of a season in which it's a uh, it's kind of a, a time in which oftentimes we reflect we become somewhat reflective over the past year the things that uh, things that have occurred over the last year some of those things have been just wonderful they're incredible some of the things are a little frustrating they didn't go the way we thought they would and and sometimes there's disappointments. Sometimes there's deep disappointment. Uh, there's sorrow. And then there's happiness. And so we see, uh, we see such a huge, broad range of emotion and thought and, and all of these things as we sort through the uh, occurrences of the past year and of the year to come. I want to just encourage you in this in one way. And I may mention this a little bit later on. I want to encourage you. Please do not allow your life to be uh, chain-linked to the past. Paul says it so well. Forgetting those things which are behind me, I press forward to the things that are before. We often live lives and we often have seasons of our lives in which are filled with the disappointments and, and the frustrations, the discouragements. And all of these things, we, uh, we think about the things that should have went better and could have went better and didn't go better. And it's very easy to allow ourselves to just drift into that kind of that, that malaise of, of just kind of wandering in that fogginess and things like that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Whatever last year was, was. It's in the past tense. Allowed two thousand seventeen to be the present tense and the future that God has for every one of us in this room. Everyone, including his entire church. I kind of think of it this way, sometimes when my car gets dirty, you know, I run it through the car wash in, in Humboldt there and and I step back after it's all cleaned up and everything and say, Boy, this thing looks kind of like new. And it's not really new, it just looks better. I've Jonah and I had to put more duct tape on my car yesterday because the door didn't want to shut. Remember that? Some of you do, anyway. And I drove around for about four or five months with duct tape holding a door shut. Well, it's back again, and uh, I'm not quite sure how to remedy that. I'm sure a body shop could, but I can't. That's one of the reasons I like to mow my own yard. Because when it's done, you see, uh, you say, hey, that looks pretty good. That looks fresh. It's also one of those things I can look back and say, hey, there's progress. I, sometimes progress in ministry is a little hard to identify. And uh, so mowing the yard for me becomes therapy. But um, anyway, for 400 years, the descendants <coughs> of Jacob Had lived in slavery in Egypt. Everything started out pretty good for them. Everything was okay. It was during a time of famine when they migrated in there. It was a small group of people and and uh, they were certainly outnumbered by the Egyptians by a large percentage, huge percentage. But then they grew and they grew and then for several generations the Egyptians had enslaved the descendants of Jacob. Life was miserable. Life was hard and difficult. It was frustrating. They, some of them believed that there would be a deliverer, but they hadn't seen that. And generation after generation kind of moved on, and pretty soon those hopes and dreams began to fade. And then God raised up a person named Moses. Moses became that deliverer that God had promised and he led the children of Israel from their Egyptian captivity into the freedom, and eventually they would be able to walk into their new promised land that God had spoken to them generations and generations earlier. <coughs> the same is true, I think, for us in <coughs> because Jesus Christ is a life changer. Jesus Christ is a life changer and in the life giving business. That's why I love to preach the gospel because there's a freshness to it. There's a a hope that's always connected to the gospel. There's always a promise that is attached to what God is saying and what God desires to do. And so it is not some kind of a resolution that we make and then in about a week to 10 days that resolution went Flying out the window or anything like that, God's work in us continues on and on and on, and there's a freshness, there's a there's a there's a viability and a life <coughs> that is connected to it. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seventeen says that when we become, when we, when we become new people in Christ, it says this: We are new creatures. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. New. Not just a remake, not just a touch up or anything like that. There was a knicker or two on the wall <coughs> by my door and everything. And I said the other day, I hope we have some of that pain around here. We need to touch it up. That's okay when we're talking about a wall that we need to touch up. But our lives need more than a touch up, don't they? They need a they need a they need a complete do over. And God's why God makes us all things become new. <coughs> new beginnings. New beginnings always means a new change. Change means going in a different direction. Christ causes us to go in a different direction. He always does. When my, li- when my wife and I gave our lives to Christ immediately God began to move us in an entirely new direction. It didn't happen all overnight, but it was clear that there was a new direction involved <coughs> in, in our lives. Now, people react to change, and some to say, I don't want change because even though I'm not happy, I like the way the things are right now, which is a strange statement. It's a very strange statement to say, I don't like the things way things are right now, but or however i said that <laughs> i've got this cold folks and i'm just battling it bad i don't want to change because even though i'm not happy with the things that are like right now i'm still happy i don't understand that one i don't want to change christ means change christ changes us in such a way it's not a matter of he says listen i'm going to take you out and make you unhappy Christ brings hope into our lives. Christ brings a change into our lives. Christ brings newness into our lives. And it's a fantastic walk and a journey and experience with Jesus Christ. Did you know that you can go into almost any Walmart store and buy a quartz watch? And I've seen them as low as 10 bucks. You can buy this little quartz watch and... Um, and this cheap watch, this is a very cheap watch. It's got a plastic band. It's probably mostly made out of plastic and everything like that. But you realize that this cheap, inexpensive quartz watch is more, it is more accurate than the most expensive Swiss watch you can possibly buy. And I'll tell you why. I'm gonna give you a little science lesson here. This morning, a tiny little quartz crystal in these things vibrated at the amazing speed of 32,768 times per second. That is then translated into a little tiny oscillator. I've got a picture of it up on the screen there. You can see it. Can you see it vibrating? If you look close, you can. So this little oscillator, you know, measures all this, and it translates it into digital sequences. But what's ironic is the people who invented this watch are the Swiss. And after they invented it, they said, well, who was going to want one of these things? After all, we make better watches than this little thing. That was back in 1962. Times have changed, haven't they? Times have changed so much. It's important for us to know what time of day it is, isn't it? It's important in this way. Knowing time is one thing; knowing what to do about time is a totally different thing. It's interesting, but the Bible says, tucked away in 1 Chronicles chapter twelve, when the people, when the when when they're being talked about, the tribes, the various tribes are being spoken of. In verse 12, we come to the tribe of Issachar. We hardly hear anything about this tribe. But here in this one little passage, one little verse, it says, here was the tribe of Issachar. And these are the people who understood the times and, listened to me, and knew what to do. I like that. They understood the times and they knew what to do. After church, I want you to make sure you check your mailboxes and pick up uh, our newsletter. That um, It's actually our January newsletter because I wrote a kind of a lengthy article on that that I believe really speaks about doing ministry in, in a modern church. We need to understand the times that we're living in and we need to know what to do. We need to be careful that we're not just driven by the various things that are out there. You can do that very easily. You can be driven by this cause, or this one, or this one. There's many of them. You have to be careful about that. Because this cause is always the right cause. The gospel always speaks to our culture. It always speaks to the need. It always speaks to a society that seems to be half the time upside down. It always does. And we understand what to do in these times. That's exactly why God wants us to be aware for here in our church and then respond to what we're supposed to be doing. I was reflecting a little bit the other day, 38 years ago, when I planted a church. Shortly after that, I started that plant. I went to Kansas City, Missouri, to a church growth conference at the Municipal Auditorium in KC. And, uh, the topic was how to reach boomers. Well, that's me. And that's a few of you out there. Is there some, how many boomers do we have? Be proud about this. Come on. Be proud about this. You can go ahead and stretch the years, a few years, if you want. I don't care. We're okay with that. Boomers. And no, I'm not going to explain it. Well, we've had the Boomers, we've had the, we've had the Gen X, we've had the Gen Y, we've had the Millennials. Everybody gets a little name these days and, and a little moniker attached to their particular time period. What is interesting, I passed through Kansas City some time ago, and I noticed this, the Municipal Auditorium it doesn't exist anymore, and instead there's a, there's a wonderful new hotel high rise there and then a couple other buildings built right on that spot. They tore it down. Joan and I were, Joan in particular was digging through some stuff that we moved here. We moved this stuff to our home in Humboldt. And that stuff has been with us for 38 years. And I haven't opened those notebooks in 38 years. And I said, it's time to do something about this, I think. We're not, this is it. No more moves. This is it. This stuff, when we go, it goes. And our poor kids... Where do they see our basement? They're going to be praying for us for good health. Please don't let mom and dad die. We don't want to deal with this. Just uh, just a few weeks, Jonah and I will start our ninth year of ministry here at this church. And you look around, at so many changes, so many good things, so many blessings, so many wonderful things. I mean, we saw evidence of that last night here on this platform, just a... Uh, uh, just a whole big group of kids that, uh, that were involved in church, teenagers that are involved in church, and so many things, uh, all these things. And they're wonderful things. They're great things. Time has helped us. We recognize the need, and we address the need and those things. Are there some setbacks? You better believe it. There's setbacks. I'm not going to name them, but there's setbacks. There's things that we started out to do that just didn't turn out all that good. And so you stop doing them or try to modify them or change them or do something about it and everything like this. But we're going to keep on trying and we're going to keep on working. It's not, just a, it's not just about things that are happening. We also want to ask God to continue to increase the spiritual dimension of every person that's in this church. That's a goal. That's a that's an objective. We're not going to reach that objective all in a couple weeks or, or with a seminar or something like that, but it's a, it's a constant, continual objective. Let God elevate the spiritual dimension of every man and woman and every teenager, every boy or girl. Let them grow in their faith. Let them grow deeper into the knowledge of Christ. These services, I think our church services here, are just about the best anywhere and, and I'm thankful for it because I believe lives get impacted for God. And that's why we're having church. I want us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. To know that God occasionally takes us in a direction that we didn't even see at the beginning of the year. But here we are at some other time and God is moving us in a, in a spot, in a place that he wants to move us. We've got to be sensitive to that. We've got to have spiritual ears and spiritual eyes and a heart that beats for God. That will simply say, yes, God. Are we going to have all the details rolled out? No, never. It doesn't happen that way. Moses didn't have all the details all rolled out. He says, God says, I'm going to make you deliver. And he didn't come along with a 300-page manual and say, this is how you deliver the people. This is how it works. Folks, this is by faith. God will give you some hints. God may give you a, kind of a tiny little outline. He may give you a, just a word or two. <clears throat> but then we operate in faith, and we follow him, and look to him. I think one of the most important words that should be in our vocabularies today is just that word I just mentioned, Today. Today. The writer of the Hebrews says it. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, to me it's a priority. To me personally, <clears throat> and I hope it's a priority, with her, I want to hear the voice of God. I want hear, to hear his direction. I want to have the keen insight and understanding of where does God want to take us. It's important to do it now because I know this. Procrastination is a thief. Procrastination steals. I mentioned this in a little note that I put in some Christmas cards. Here we are again, three days before Christmas, and putting these things into the mailbox. Believe me, at Thanksgiving, I said, we're going to do it different this year. We're going to get in the first week of December, they go in the mailbox. Procrastination stole about 22 days. And on the 23rd of December, they went into the mailbox. In so many places in the New Testament, we see Jesus coming along and speaking into people's lives and touching them with his divine power. There's always a sense of urgency that's connected with this. We see the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, Peter, the march goes on, the upper room, everything changed. It all changed. And the setbacks. Even the early church had some setbacks. But they didn't stop. They didn't hit the brakes. They didn't stop and say, okay, we're, we're, we can't go any further until whatever. They kept moving forward. And I thank the Lord for that. I just heard this week, and maybe you've heard it too, <clears throat> that, the, uh, that the number of born-again people in Africa now is, is at a half a billion people, which is just absolutely amazing. A half a billion people. God's on the move. God's doing a work. That's just amazing. And God's not afraid of numbers, and God's not afraid of, of doing mighty things in the midst of some of the darkest places of our, of, our, of our world. Any great endeavor and undertaking, there's always going to be those who are eager and more than willing, it seems like, to tell you that it's impossible, you cannot do it. In fact, they, they seem to come out of the woodwork. I don't know where they are, but they come out of the woodwork. They tell you, you cannot achieve your dream. That won't work here, or it won't work anywhere. I know in our church plan, after the first service we had, and I'm sure I've told you this, after the very first service, there was a man and his wife there. We greeted them at the door, and his greeting was this. You cannot start a church like this in Algona, Iowa. Well, thank you. Those 22 people didn't buy into that. Well, 21 didn't buy into it. And we did. That's because God was involved in this thing. See, that's the difference. When God gets going into something, when God gets involved in stuff, it works. If it's just me, if it's just you, and we're out trying to do something, then look out. That may not work all that well. You know, they lined up in Nehemiah's day, Basically, Sanballat and Tobiah. Now, these two people are just simply devils. If you read Nehemiah and you read the word Sanballat or to- Tobiah, you can just simply say devil one and devil two. And they lined up. They, t- they told Nehemiah, look, this, this city is a piece of junk. And it was. This city is a piece of junk. You cannot rebuild it. The wall that you're going to put up, the foxes are going to run up, and it's going to fall down as soon as the fox runs up on it. It's just going to fall in. This thing isn't going to work. Nehemiah did this, and he said this. He said, we prayed to God, and we set a watch. Now, I'm going to reinterpret that for today in 2016. We prayed to God, and we got busy, and did what God told us to do. And it was God who made it work. We prayed to God, and we got busy. There's a present tense in what God is doing today. God is not doing something for me for what I've been, but he's showing what I can be. That's what he's doing. God is ready today to bring a fresh deposit of faith into any person's life in this room. Faith. Not discouragement. None of this business of it'll never be any different. None of this business of it didn't work in 2016, I don't have any hope for 2017. It's none of that. Not a bit of that but a fresh deposit of faith, a fresh deposit of wisdom, a freshness of joy, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this is the time to move forward in spiritual progress in our life. Jana, could you come back, please? I want us to believe, I sat there on the front row last night and I watched all these little kids. and I watched teenagers. I, you know, I just observed everything that was going on last night. And I just feel this way. I believe God is raising up a generation. It's not just kids and teenagers. But I believe it's a bunch of people, adults, who may be boomers, or old Gen Xers, or whoever you are. Or you may just say, I'm a part of the over-the-hill gang, Well, he's raising them up too. I believe God is raising up a whole group of people with a fresh touch of God upon their lives who are willing to step up and say, this is the generation, this is the moment that God is going to work through my life in whatever way he chooses to work, but he's going to work through my life And whatever happens, it's going to be for the glory of God. God is going to do something. God is going to work. And all I need to do is act in faith, act in the boldness that God will give me, and he'll work. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you that there is another way. Help us, Father, to not just... uh, Not just simply say, we have always done it this way before and that's how you do business. But Father, let us thank God for the ways that have been operating and have got us this way. But now, Father, I pray that you open our hearts to new ideas, new hope. Help us to be people who have the privilege to work with you and to know that you are working our lives. Father we thank you so much. I pray that there's going to be a word this was a word of encouragement <clears throat> a word of encouragement to some people. Some folks here that's had kind of a rough year. It's been bumpy. Things have not gone as well as they'd hoped and and uh, they just feel like they're out of breath right now. Father, I pray for a fresh wonderful infusion of encouragement, of faith, of joy, knowing that you are with them, knowing that you love them. Father, this is a moment in which we need to really seriously consider writing fresh things on a new page of history. Help us, Father. Help us to have vision. Help us to have clarity of that vision. Help us to understand our times and then know what to do about it. And so, Father, we thank you. Father, we love you today. I pray that the blessing of Christmas is not just a one-day event in our lives, but it continues on day after day after day. That the blessing of the arrival of the Savior, the work of God in our life, will always be new and fresh. And so, Father, I thank you for this.